Good morning, friends. Good morning. Let's stand together. Let's stand together as we read the scripture this morning. Our reading this morning is from Genesis. No, I'm just kidding. It's from Philippians. (laughs) Philippians uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 27. Most important, live together in a manner worthy of Christ's gospel. Do this whether I come and see you or I'm absent and I hear about you. Do this so that you stand firm, united in one spirit and mind as you struggle together to remain faithful to the gospel. That way, you won't be afraid of anything your enemies do. Your faithfulness and courage are a sign of their coming destruction and your salvation, which is from God. God has generously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but also of suffering for Christ's sake. You are having the same struggle that you saw me face and now hear that I'm still facing. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Spirit, we ask that you would come and speak to us this morning. Um, We all have different reasons for coming in to this place, whether it's curiosity, it's the first time we're here, um, this is the uh, thousandth time I'm here, and this is just what I do on Sundays, but um, beneath all of those differing reasons, we all have a common ache, whether or not we realize it, and it's to hear you speak. We long to hear your voice. And so, Jesus Christ, Son of God, we ask that you'd speak this morning for your servants are listening. We ask these things in your precious name, who together with the Father and the Spirit rule and reign the universe, one God now and forever, world without end. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. All right. It genuinely, it's genuinely good to see you this morning. I'm so, no, thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm so happy of the, yeah. I mean, some, some Sundays I come up here and I'm like, I'm not happy to see you at all. But today, today is a good, I feel it. That, that's authenticity. That's a millennial value, authenticity. No, no, it's really good to see all of you this morning. We're in our fourth week of exploring um, this letter uh, that has made it into what we call the New Testament. Um, it's our exploration of Philippians, complete joy. And we, um, we just finished reading the end of chapter one this week. Um, last week, we were camping out in a, in, a, in a much larger section of scripture in uh, verses 12 to 26. It was something like 15 verses. This week, we have 27 through 30. It's four verses. You know, it's, it's much nice, more manageable uh, passage. 
should make for a much smaller, more manageable sermon, right? Get you, out of, get you guys out of here. Get you at Red Robin on time, right? Yum. <laughs> Nobody. Nobody's with me. Okay, two words. <laughs> I believe in you. Um, well, I have two words that are going to kind of, it's a short, manageable little section that we've got this morning. It's four verses. Two words, I think, are going to help kind of propel us through um, the passage today. These two words are colony and sabotage. Colony and sabotage, Okay. Um, those are the two words that I think are going to help us navigate these four verses. And then to help us with those words, because we need someone to help us think about, I mean, they're not words that you typically use during your day. We need someone to help us. And so you can go ahead and throw that up. Um, to help us think about the, that word, we're going to uh, borrow from the Gotham Rogues Gallery and have the cold-hearted master of ice himself, Mr. Freeze, is going to help us think about colony and sabotage. Um, <laughs> so good. Um, so good. I had to get, I was looking through and I was like, do you get art? Do you, no, you get the one with Arnold in it. You, there were, I think this is a really bad movie. He, at one point, I think he says, ice to meet you. It's like full of like the worst kinds of like puns and it's terrible. It's terrible. Mr. Freeze is going to help us. Does that sound like a deal? Mr. Freeze will help us with colony and sabotage. Colony and sabotage will help us go through these four verses, and then I'll get you to Red Robin on time, right? Yum. Yes, I heard it that time. It's like, it's like my version of the nerd alert. Um, I'm going to train you guys to say yum every time there's Red Anyway, we digress. Paul, in this passage today that we just read, um, starting in verse 27, Paul is actually inviting, um, he's inviting um, the Philippians to embrace their life as colonists. They live in a colony. Philippi is a Roman Colony. You, you can miss this very easily in English, um, but you can actually, you can see it in Greek. And so I've kind of transliterated a couple of Greek words right there and rearranged the verse just to match the Greek a little bit more. He says, most importantly, axios, um, for the M3 out there, axios. It's, yeah, it's like live a life worthy, in balance, that matches. It's like scales matching. Um, live a life that matches in a manner fitting for Christ's good news. And politeuste is what he says. Politeuste. I want you to live together as citizens. That word right there, politeuste, it's a word that's on the street in the Greco-Roman world. It's a word everybody knows. It's um, related to our word, um, to the word polis, which is the Greek word for city. It's where we get words like Indianapolis or metropolis. Um, you can even, you can actually even hear it in our word political, the political. It's like having to do with like our common civil life to, together. It's the word for city. Um, and so the verb form of it has something to do with living your citizenship. 
The, the common English Bible just translates it, live together. But that's not quite enough there. It's about your citizenship. It's the kind of, of, of where you give your allegiance and what you're a part of. Live your citizenship together. Live together as citizens. It's plural. It's something you Philippians do all together. And it's political, It's not just plural, it's political. It's something that you do publicly. You have a public life in doing this. Now, interestingly enough, this normal word for citizenship and living politically, it had extra significance for the Philippians. It had extra power. Politeus, they pops out on the page to them because they live in Philippi. You can go ahead and throw that map up here. Um, it's, can you guys see? Uh, it doesn't really matter if you can see Jerusalem down here. Um, there are three yellow dots. There's Rome right there on the boot. Um, and then this is modern day Greece. You have Philippi in Ma- ancient Macedonia. And then you've got Jerusalem down there, but we're not talking about Jerusalem, so it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> glad somebody laughed. Um, yeah, uh, so those two dots right there, Rome is on the boot. That's where Rome is. That's where the life of Rome is happening. That's where the statues are. That's where, like, the... The, the Colosseum is. This is where the Roman Forum is. The, the Palace of Caesar. All of these things are the grand, like the life of Rome is happening there on that peninsula. And is, this is not a trick question, and it's also not rhetorical, so you can say yes or no. Is Philippi close to Rome? No, it's not. They're about a thousand kilometers apart. They're like 600 miles for those of us who don't do that. They're 600 miles as the crow flies, as the swallow carrying the coconut flies. That is, that's how, it's, it's a long way. They're way, way off. Um, Philippi is a polis of, of Rome. It's a city of Rome, and it's, and it's some 600 miles away if that swallow managed to carry you over the course of a few hours. But Philippi isn't just any old city in Roman territory. Philippi is not just some city under Roman control. It's not just a Roman city. It is a Roman colony, colony of Rome. The Philippians, they didn't get to live just however they felt like, you know, living. They lived as they do in Rome. That's the way that Philippians lived. They were making, they were entrusted in making Philippi into a sort of like new Rome. Even though they lived miles away, long way away in Macedonia, their politeuma, their citizenship was Roman. They they were Roman citizens. And so this is just what I'm driving at right here. Philippians were Roman colonists on the shores of Macedonia. Just let that sink in for a second. They were Roman colonists 
on the shores of Macedonia. They lived the life of Rome on strange foreign shores, the culture of Rome, the law and customs of Rome, the, the way that Romans dressed, the way that Romans ate, the protection of Rome. All of that was just as much a reality inside the city walls of Philippi as it was in Rome itself. It's a new Rome. The life of Rome came to Philippi because Philippi was a colony of Rome. We just want to drill that into our heads. This is not just some city. It's a colony. It's an extension of Rome. A bit in the way that like, you know, like embassy, embassies, embassies. You guys are familiar with embassies. Some of you are. They are actually extensions of a country inside of another country. And so if you go into the U.S. embassy in France, you are actually technically, strangely, on U.S. soil, <laughs> with all of the, that's a bit, this is an extension of Rome. The colonists brought a new kind of life with them. Okay, it's, I knew that this is, it's hard to communicate colonies and colonialism and all of that. I get that. I'm seeing everybody's like, he's making a really big deal of this, but we don't give a lot of thought to it. We don't give a lot of attention to it. Someone in a history class at some point might have talked about like the colonialism of like the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries, the great British empire, what, whatever. We might've watched a TV show with that, but I'm telling you, Mr. Freeze is going to help us with this. <laughs> Kid you not. The, the, form of colonialization that most of us are probably familiar with, that some of you might be living in right now, is the colonial, the, the colonist that we call a roommate. A roommate. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Every roommate is a colonist is a colonist, especially if you have to share a bathroom or a, or a uh, kitchen, then you begin to realize that they have brought strange foreign customs to the shores of your house. No, the towels don't go there. Where were you raised? Wait, no, you, you don't put the seltzers right there in the, that's where the milk goes. What? You do not leave laundry in the dryer. Like all of a sudden these little customs that may have worked in one part of the world, they get brought to your shore and you're like, no, 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 no. Many of us have had the experience, raise your hand if you've had the experience of like looking for a roommate at some point in life, whether it was in college, yeah, whatever. Uh, at some point in our lives, imagine, just do a thought experiment, imagine that for whatever reason you are now looking for a roommate and you go on Craigslist or wherever, you, I don't think that's safe, I don't know. Um, so <laughs> you go somewhere with a safe place to try to find a roommate um, and your, uh, your friend Selena actually is the one that connects you with this guy. Um, that was a, a, an Easter egg for someone. Um, you talk to him on the phone. You agree to everything. He seems like a nice enough fella. He seems totally great. You guys are going to get along smashingly. But then on the day that he's moving in, you realize, I've seen this guy before. <laughs> that's, that's 
Mr. Freeze? Like, how, how did this not come up in conversations? Like, note to self, uh, like, add, are you a supervillain to roommate application? Like, this does not make any, he's carrying in, like, his futon, he's carrying in tanks of liquid nitrogen, and, like, you're, you're making dinner that night, and you're, like, looking down the hallway, and you notice that, like, icicles have started forming, like, hanging from the ceiling kind of outside of his room. And of course they have. It's Mr. Freeze. And then like white steam is like leaking out from beneath the door, you know. All, I bring him up to say all roommates are colonists and this one especially so, right? He, there is a completely, down that hallway, there is a completely different kind of world being lived right in the middle of the world as you know it. A very strange new world happening in the midst of the familiar. That's what the Philippians were doing in the midst of Macedonia. In the middle of modern day Greece, ancient Macedonia, the Philippians, they were colonists living a different kind of world, the Roman world. They were Romans within the city walls of Philippi. Okay, and we say all of that talk about colonists and about Mr. Freeze to get at this. Paul is using something that it takes 15 minutes for us to explain. He's using something that they're very familiar with, their status as colonists, a verb like politeuste. He's using a word that they know, that they're very familiar with, and redirecting it as a picture of what it means to follow Jesus. He tells them to politeuste in a manner worthy, not of Rome, not of Rome, but of Jesus. Of Jesus, of verse 27, of, of Christ's gospel. He takes what the Philippians already knew about like being colonists, about bringing a new world to strange foreign shores, and he redirects it. He says, live at, together as citizens whose lives line up with Christ with Jesus. Near the end of a, it's a short letter, but near the end of chapter three, he's actually gonna tap into this again in verse 20. He's gonna bring this up again when he says that your citizenship is in heaven, is what he's gonna say, and that you are waiting for Jesus to come from heaven to rescue and transform this world, is what he says in chapter three, verse 20. It's the same reminder. What Paul is saying, you can throw that slide up. Paul is saying to the Philippians, you, you're a Christian. You have accepted that Christ has claimed you. Well, Christians are colonists of heaven on the shores of earth. That's the, all you're familiar with about bringing a brand new world onto strange shores. That's your entire life now, but it's not with Rome. It's with everything that you have learned about God through Jesus. Christians are colonists of heaven on the shores of earth. And so Philippians, Paul is writing, Philippians, 
Recognize that in the same way your Roman citizenship means that you bring a new world to Macedonia, Jesus has freely, by grace, you didn't even ask for it, he made you a citizen of heaven, a member of his family, and that means you bring the life of heaven to the shores of earth. You are called, I am called, all of us are called, invited in all we say, in all we do, in our habits, our rhythms, our routine, through our small, seemingly unimportant choices again and again and again and again that just pile up ad nauseum through our lives to live as different kind of people in this world, to be heaven people, to be heaven people, to be... People of love, in case you need that further defined, is what heaven people are. People that like, you could look at in the present, like he says in verse, that strange verse in verse 28. People say, well, I know that this world is going to hell in a handbasket. I saw CNN last night or Fox News or MSNBC. Well, pick, pick your poison. Like, uh, poison. Um, uh, I know this world is going to hell in a handbasket, destroying itself on its way to destruction. But the way those people are living over there, they're like a sign, a sign, a signal of something better and deeper and truer and that's going to last. They're living in a way that's going to last. We're called to be the people who show the life of heaven even before our king returns to bring it here. Um, and so what does this life of heaven look like? Well, Paul, he keeps talking. Just read the book of Philippians. No joke, it'll take you 20 minutes. Sit down and read it. Um, but like, he, if you were here last week, he was talking about it all over the place in verses 12 through 26. He's talking about making ourselves small, humbling ourselves, serving others. That's where the delight of true life is found. It's in getting humble and small and becoming a servant to other people. He said it back there last week, and then next week he's going to be talking about it when we get to chapter 2. Let's just throw it up here again. We read it at the end again, but it's worth thinking about and letting like sift down into your soul. Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Humility, servanthood, adopt. Why should we do this? Verse five, adopt the attitude that was in Messiah Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in King Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself. Oh, it's breathtaking. The entire letter of Philippians is orbiting around this truth. The news that they are proclaiming that's gotten Paul thrown into prison. It's the news of the world's true king. And the news is brilliantly bloody good news. Heaven has emptied itself and come to earth. God has made it 
impossibly. God has made himself small, washed feet, took up a cross, apparently because this is what God is always like. God is not Zeus-like. God is not braggadocious. God is not angry or spiteful or out to prove anything. No, on the other hand, God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God is love, so we're just borrowing 1 Corinthians 13 right there. God is humble, if you didn't see it here. God is humble. God is a servant. God is Christ-like. That's what we need to say. That's what we need to hear again and again and again. That is what the life of heaven looks like. That's what the good life looks like. It's the only life. Jesus is Lord. Is, that's the news, the euangelion, the gospel that Paul's spreading all around and inviting people to live into. He's telling them, he's saying, make sure you live together in a manner worthy of Christ's gospel. Make sure your life is beginning to line up with the life that now you're starting to see is the life of God. It's the life of God. And this good news Oh, once you begin to believe it, and to believe it again and again and again for the rest of your life, once you begin to believe it and then start trying to practice living into it, it's, it's beautiful, it grows fruit in you, it transforms you, and it also runs into all kinds of opposition. It runs into opposition, it runs up against a, a great deal of the opposition is within us. A great deal of the opposition's within. My selfishness doesn't die easily. I wish it did. My ambition to be famous or celebrated or applauded or known or something, that doesn't want to give up <laughs> without like a, a really long fight. My desire to gratify myself instead of serving other people. We could go on and on. And that's just the opposition within me, right? That's just within opposition. But then like there's outside opposition too. Once we actually start practicing the life of heaven, we discover that there are like dark undercurrents in, in the world, in culture, that like they, they're interested in, in crucifying kindness. It's what, what they're interested in. The Philippians are, are running into this. In verse 29, uh, they're running into some sort of opposition. God has generously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but also of suffering for Christ's sake. Someone needs to hear me reread re that this morning. God has generously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but also of suffering for Christ's sake. You are having the same struggle that you saw me face and now hear that I'm still 
facing. And people speculate, like, what was this? What kind of opposition? Some scholars, I, I think they're right, um, they think that Philippians, the Philippians are beginning to face opposition from like civil authorities, like local leaders and local governments are starting to, they, they're starting to say, hey, the slogan of the empire, Caesar is Lord. We all know that. It's, it's on our coins. It's carved on walls. It's on statues. Like, you got to stop with this Jesus is Lord business. <laughs> you got to stop that. Otherwise, like, you're going to bring down the wrath of Rome on us. <laughs> we don't want that. Whether, whether this message is speaking to people who are living in the first century, driven, whose powers were driven by violent armies, and sex, and money, and violence, and corruption, or whether we are hearing this letter in the 21st century, where the powers in charge are driven by armies, and sex, and money, and violence, and corruption. When you start to follow Jesus, you quickly realize that the world outside of us and strangely, the world within us doesn't want us to live the life of heaven. What is going on? Darkness is like always creeping in, in like actual opposition from the outside or just selfishness, plain old selfishness from the inside. The life of humility, the life of serving, the the life of Christ, the life of God, the, the only good life that exists isn't even recognized as the good life. It's not even recognized. We don't even recognize it as the good life most of the time. Even we, like here, we showed up. And we're like we're trying to follow Jesus to some modicum. Like we have trouble remembering that humility, smallness, and servanthood giving up our gain for their good. That is the good life. It's like we are in a world permeated, saturated, marinated in opposition to the life of heaven, isn't it? Like, and it's even gotten into us. And this is the point where uh, the other word comes in handy. Um, the first word was colony. The second word is sabotage. Sabotage. Christians aren't merely to be the colonists of heaven. We actually, um, too, we Christians are meant to be the saboteurs of darkness. Yeah, that gets you excited. Like, this is a conspiracy that we've got going on in the room right now, isn't it? Actually, C.S. Lewis says that. C.S. Lewis, in a famous quote from Mere Christianity, he says, enemy-occupied territory, that is what the world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in his great campaign of sabotage. Yes! That's, that's really good. That's really good. The brokenness of the world, I need an amen, the brokenness of the world needs to be broken. Sin needs to be sabotaged. Someone needs to throw a monkey wrench in the plans of hell. Yeah, somebody needs to. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. 
Returning to our rather absurd um, story of uh, Mr. Freeze for a moment, um, it's a bit like having Mr. Freeze come in as a roommate. That's the colonist part because all roommates are colonists. But then it's like, it's like we didn't talk about where your house is. Your house is in Death Valley and has no air conditioning. <laughs> so this is actually a brill. I couldn't have asked for a better roommate. Suddenly, our friend Victor Freeze, that's his name in case Trivial Pursuit, Victor Freeze. Um, Victor isn't just a colonist creating a new world in the midst of your house. He's actually simultaneously a saboteur. He's actually a saboteur. He is working against conditions on the ground, isn't he? Death Valley no air conditioning. He is sabotaging the heat and the hell of Death Valley in order to create this new world. The new world created by the colony of his room stands in stark contrast and actually against conditions on the ground around him. He has colonized cold in the middle of the hot. Um, He has... um, resisted hot, sabotaged the heat to create a new kind of space. This is the call of Christians. This is our task in the world, not just when we gather for our conspiracy meeting, but when we go out and go on our missions. Our mission is to sabotage the darkness and colonize for heaven. We keep returning we keep returning to this meeting again week after week. We keep, during the week, we return to Jesus again and again. We keep worshiping. We keep dwelling on him. We keep following him. And it's not always easy. It's very, Paul calls it an agona, like a, where we get agony from. He call, verse 30, he calls it a struggle is what he calls it. But, but suffering, this suffering is a gift, he also says. But over the long haul, as he continues to follow Jesus, he starts noticing a new world being birthed and an old world being resisted. As we keep following Jesus, we find heaven moving in like a colony and hell getting sabotaged in the process. Moments where everybody else at work is talking about that person. I've had that this week. Uh, I don't work at the church, by the way. <laughs> I've got a full-time job outside of this. Um, <laughs> that was a, I had to clarify. But I've had this this week. The, the, those moments where they're talking about that person, isn't she the worst? And can't you believe that he did that? And da, 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 da. We find ourselves resisting. That needs to be resisted. How can I sabotage this? We find ourselves like wanting to diffuse, to stop, to... Gossip, this is so destructive to like the very fabric of the universe. It's destroying love and the potential of relationships. We want to colonize that moment with something else. I want love to come in. What what would it look like? I, I just want to say, what would it look like for you to talk to that person instead of talking about them? What, what, what if you began to understand them and to care about them and not just treat them like they're a prop in your story? Goodness. Notice, and this is the important last place we pivot, 
Notice that colonizing love always comes before sabotaging sin. The love comes first before the sabotage. Christians sabotage sin, darkness, the gates of hell. They sabotage by colonizing with love. The love comes first. A lot of people talk about like the Christian life. They talk about it like being a Christian is all about sabotaging sin. I got to get rid of sin. I don't want to, I got to avoid, there's a bunch of bad stuff out there in the kind of movie I watch and TV show. And being a Christian means that I make sure I don't do that and I don't say that and I don't see that and I don't think that and I don't do any of that. And I make sure, and I know that I screw up. I sin a lot. And so I ask God for forgiveness like a lot because I, I do sin. And it's like we're focusing on the weeds and never looking at the lawn is what it's like. Yes, the human experience is corrupted right now. Yes, our lives are permeated by darkness, unlike to a profound degree. But the point of being human is not to avoid brokenness. It's to live in wholeness. That's the point. Don't be a Christian who's walking around so focused on sin that you never inhaled world-transforming, crucified love. Love that breaks through the tomb and walks out the other side of death. That's what you're meant to be living in. Not, oh, I can't touch sin. No, I'm walking into the middle of everything because love is more powerful than sin. It's more powerful than brokenness. You can't, you, you can't expect to beat the heat of Death Valley, to beat the brokenness without something new moving in. And the new is love. Sabotaging, you can, yeah, sabotaging darkness is a byproduct. It's the byproduct of love colonizing. Darkness gets sabotaged. It only really happens for good when something new, when love gets put in its place. And so that gossip isn't gone until words of goodness and affirmation habitually come to stay. Lust will never leave until vulnerability and honesty and intimacy moves in. Greed Yes, greed has to go, to be sure, but it needs something better in its place. Generosity, giving. Oh, that'll give you a rush right there. The hellish heart of Death Valley is terrible. The only solution is a cold colonist. That's the motto, the the, the lesson we learned from Mr. Freeze. And the hellish hate of this world is terrible. And the only solution is love colonizing. And here we're getting at the heart of the gospel because we don't, for all of us here, we don't need a roommate for the heat. We need a transplant for our hearts. That's what we need. Sometimes, me, sometimes hourly. <laughs> I'm like, I need, I need you afresh and anew. We need someone to move in, not just close to us, but like into us, to change us from the inside, to colonize us. 
with love, to sabotage our darkness. And the good news, the gospel, my friends, you're invited to believe it. It happens. It happens. It's true. God himself in Jesus, the rightful king, has landed as though in disguise. He's come into the world and he continues to spread life. He is in the process right now of gently colonizing me with love. He's in the process of colonizing us together as a community with love. He is in the process. Oh, this is hard to hear. He's in the process of gently sabotaging my darkness, thwarting my worst impulses for the sake of love. We sang earlier, um, you are for me, not against me. And I was thinking, I was struck, somebody in the room has a really hard time with that, with that lyric because you feel like, my God, he doesn't feel for me. He feels totally against me. And this is what I wanted to say. God is more for you than you are for yourself, which means that he has frequently got to be against you in frustrating ways. He is so for you that he will be against you in the ways that you need to be. He is willing to sabotage your darkness, even when it frustrates you, even when you turn your back on him, so that you can receive life, real life, the good life, the only life, the life of heaven. Jesus, he sabotages, this is true for all of us, he sabotages us not to make us less human, less fully ourselves. That's the way you hear religion talked about sometimes, just like I'm stifling. No, it's precisely because love is what pure unfiltered, hundred proof love is what I was made for and I don't live that way. And Jesus wants me to be myself. He wants me to live in that. He wants to make me more human. And so God, God wants to give me humility, servanthood, Love. It's a life that I'm not interested in a lot of times. Um, and make no mistake, he's willing to sabotage to get us there. He's willing to sabotage. So as we, um, as we come to the table this morning, um, the band, you can head on up. As we come to the table this morning, may this be the deep hunger in all of us. Um, May we invite Jesus, the great colonist of love, to come in down the hallway and start something brand new in the midst of life as usual. May we welcome his spirit, that great saboteur of the darkness within us. May Jesus' spirit from the Father, we invite you to thwart our darkness, thwart our brokenness, even when we cling to the brokenness more than we cling to life, our desperate 
plea is that you would sabotage us so that we have no choice but to come to you and to life. This morning as we come to the table, may we ask the Father to show us, to help us believe the life of heaven, that it's good and it's light. It's better than we could imagine. Servanthood, humility, and show us how we can spread that life into the world around us.